and a runny nose all day long. Okay, I'm hoping to not have to keep making episodes dedicated to this thing, but I wanted to do at least one more after seeing or watching a video recently from a doctor in New York and also listening to a great podcast with two doctors discussing everything going on right now with the COVID virus. I wanted to offer a summary of both of those things while offering a little of my own opinion here and there. And I will link these two things in the description of this podcast so you can check them out for yourself if you'd like to. I will start with the video that David Price originally did that was shared by Mariana Price. The video was released two weeks ago from what I saw, which is a little more dated than the podcast I'll be talking about next. But let's start with David Price. He has been on the front lines of this stuff in New York at what he considers to be one of the premier hospitals in New York. He's a critical care pulmonologist and sees COVID-19 patients all day at this point. He said he doesn't want anyone to be scared and wants to use his position and his experience to help people try to understand what he and many others in similar positions have experienced with this in the past three months. His hospital is a 1,200-bed hospital. They do surgeries and transplants, and they've pretty much been exclusively a COVID-19 hospital. He's observed that people typically have a cough, a fever, and a sore throat. The most likely place this virus will affect your body is going to be the lungs. But a large percentage of people just simply don't feel good. He said there's roughly a 5-7 to or 14-day period of illness, depending on uh, the person. And you may experience shortness of breath typically around three to five days and then start to feel a little better around day seven. The goal of his video call that he did was to let everyone know how to protect your loved ones and uh, to explain the most common ways of transmission and exposure. Dr. Price thinks it's mostly transmitted from hands to face, touching something and then touching your eyes, nose or mouth. He mentions this many times throughout the video. He thinks that the aerosol form of this virus is less thought of as significant and would likely take sustained exposure with someone who is infected, like being in a small room with someone breathing in the same recycled air around you. He said, it is in your community, and that's not to scare you, it's to make you aware and make you more conscious of it. Know that your hands are clean at all times. If you have hand sanitizer, you should carry it with you and sanitize your hands after touching anything to not worry as much about touching your face. Dr. Price straight up said he will not get this virus because he knows how to protect himself. He also said, if you keep your hands clean, you will not get this virus. I personally think that is a very, very bold statement. Remember, this was released a couple of weeks ago, and I wonder if he still feels the same way now. Because the next podcast I'm going to summarize definitely has a stronger opinion about the aerosol forms of this virus, but I will get to that soon. Regardless of the differing opinions there, Dr. Price recommends to still wear a mask when leaving your home. Not for worry of aerosols, but mostly to add another layer of protection from touching your face. And he thinks that 
medical masks are not needed. If you have a medical mask or an N95 respirator, it's certainly okay to use, but he stresses that the people in the medical field are the ones who really need those masks. Dr. Price says there's basically four things to keep in mind. One, always know where your hands are and have hand sanitizer or wash your hands when outside of your home. Two, learn how to not touch your face and wear a mask to help train yourself. Three, you do not need an N95 respirator. Four, keep your distance from people around you. In order to help reduce a constant worry about people around you being potentially harmful to you and your family, it's best to remind yourself that you just need to make sure your hands are clean and that you keep distance between others. And to also understand that those people around you are struggling in this situation just the same. He has a good point about delivery people. Just the same as people hold high the medical providers, the mailmen, grocers, and other delivery people alike shouldn't be seen as a threat or an enemy, but recognized as doing something rather heroic. Socially, Dr. Price says you must reduce the size of your social circle. Every time you come in contact with someone, they could potentially have two to three other contacts, and those people could have contacts extended from them. Not having people in and out of the house, and basically having a small isolation crew that you will exclusively have contact with. Dr. Price addressed some questions he was given for this, which I will run through most of them. One, what do you do if you get this disease? Dr. Price says throughout the world, the spread has mostly been from home and family transmission, husband to wife, father to son, etc. If you develop a fever and otherwise feel fine, isolate yourself from your family. Keep up the same practice of keeping your hands clean. If you're able to, separate yourself in a room or another place altogether. If you have a person sick in your home, that's another reason to preserve masks so you can have them be the one who wears the mask. For example, if a sick person wanted to come out of their room, they'd wash and sanitize their hands, put a mask on, then walk out into the house. You'd want to make sure anything that was touched would be washed afterwards. Number two, what to do if you have a cold? If you have symptoms of such, quarantine yourself just in case for one to two days and see how you feel. If you feel any better after one to two days, you likely do not have COVID and you will just have a cold. Three, when should I go to the hospital? If you're feeling shortness of breath, go to the hospital, according to Dr. Price. It's not just having a fever or thinking that you have COVID or having body aches. It's a question of, are you experiencing shortness of breath? Can you get up to use the restroom without feeling short of breath? Four, should I get tested? That is likely dependent on the ability of testing in your community. If you have symptoms similar to the flu, you probably have COVID. But knowing this shouldn't change anything with what Dr. Price recommended doing earlier, which was keeping your hands clean and wearing a mask. Five, how does this virus affect infants and newborns? There have been reports of infants getting it, but there's almost no COVID disease from ages 0 to 14, according to Dr. Price. Kids are not dying or getting very ill so far. He goes on to say that this disease mostly affects everyone who is not in the age group of 0 to 14. 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 45-year-olds with zero medical issues are still getting this disease. The old people narrative given out in the earlier stages of this is false. Older people do handle it worse, but Dr. Price says they have quite a bit of 35-year-olds that are infected, some of which are on ventilators. Number six, what about aerosols? Are you sure about the findings on this so far? 
Dr. Price said it's more droplet than aerosol from what they've experienced. He's thinking there's probably a very low amount of airborne instances with this virus. Seven, what about homemade masks and bandanas? Dr. Price says, yes, anything to keep you from touching your face. Those types of masks would be fine, especially if you have respirators or other higher grade masks that you could donate to a medical provider who is in need. Number eight, what about using ibuprofen? Dr. Price pointed at there being good data from Germany and now other places that say to not use ibuprofen, but to use acetaminophen instead, which is Tylenol. Apparently ibuprofen worsens the illness somehow, and most people in places are recommending to avoid that altogether. Number nine, do you predict second and third waves? Dr. Price thinks that social distancing will go on for months to potentially a year, but by human nature, we will likely relax social distancing, which will cause a second smaller spike. Then it will probably become more under control after that. Number 10, is there immunity after recovery? Dr. Price thinks yes. He thinks that any reinfection cases that you might be hearing about other in other places are probably still the same first infection that wasn't fully recovered from. He thinks once most of the population has seen this virus, it will mutate into milder and milder forms. And maybe five years down the road, this will be in circulation with other viruses and seem just like a normal cold. 11. What about herd immunity? Is this a good strategy? This question was referring to UK's approach to this, I believe. And Dr. Price thinks that is the wrong method. Getting over 60% of your population sick for herd immunity will overwhelm your healthcare system. Flattening the curve seems to be the better method and herd immunity will kick in later still with uh, more people having experienced this virus. I'll close this part about Dr. Price's video by saying what he said over and over again, which is make sure you keep your hands clean and away from your face and you will have a much better chance of avoiding this virus. The next little bit is about a podcast with Peter Attila and Michael Alsterholm. This is from almost a week ago, I think. And Peter has a great and informational podcast called The Drive, which I would highly recommend. So Peter has a decent medical background that can be found online if interested, but now mostly specializes in longevity and optimal performance. Michael Alsterholm is an infectious disease epidemiologist and a director of the Center of Infectious Disease Research Policy at the University in Minnesota. You may have heard him on Joe Rogan's podcast recently, a few weeks ago, I think. Michael starts off the conversation by reciting what the writer Lewis Carroll once said, which was, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Which Michael then points out that he worries about this because we don't know where we're going with this virus. Michael was involved in the SARS and MERS outbreaks, as well as uh, influenza, pandemic preparedness, and planning. And on January 20th, he had a hand in putting out a document that this was going to be a worldwide pandemic, and also made several other predictions about this that mostly all came true. But now he doesn't see the path beyond here as easily predictable. Michael doesn't seem to think this will be a seasonal thing, as some have said, mostly by comparing it to other types of coronaviruses and cases of influenza that infect year-round. He thinks we won't see a slowing down until 50 to 70% of the population gets infected. He brings up that Wuhan, China, has been dealing with this since 
mid-November last year, and they are still seeing transmission happening, even with the draconian measures that are taken over there with some people that haven't even left their homes in 15 weeks. Michael thinks there is a durable immunity for at least the short term after being infected. Peter references a paper that came out earlier this week taking the original 1.38% case fatality rate in China and added more people to the denominator that came out of the unconfirmed group of people. So adding a larger denominator and recalculating the case fatality rate brings that 1.38 down to 0.66. Michael bounces off examples of how changing the numerator would be even more devastating of a difference. Changing the numerator would, would need to be considered because of people dying from this illness outside of a hospital, essentially people who didn't get tested and confirmed. So those deaths are not being factored in and would not be accurately representing the numerator for a more accurate case fatality rate. Michael comments about the fatality rate by age in China and that there was an exuberant amount of infected men over 65. And apparently in China, over 75% of men over 65 smoke. Less than 2% of women in that age group smoke. So that could be a contributor in the overall numbers. Obesity is a factor to worsen cases as well, but obesity isn't something that China sees much, especially not as much as in the U.S. Over 45% of people over 50 in our population in the U.S. are considered to be moderately to severely obese. Michael starts to lay out reasons how it's hard to go by numbers in certain cases because of how different societies are all over the world. For example, Korea and Italy. At Korea's bigger outbreak, they had a median age of 43, and 80% of Italy's cases are people over 80 with underlying health problems. That gives them an 8% case fatality rate. The numbers will basically be country dependent and due to many factors and underlying health conditions per society. Another point Michael made was that China doesn't have long-term care facilities for older people like we do. They live at home with their families. The fact that we have most of our elderly people living in these facilities that apparently aren't kept the most sanitary, that puts them at risk. Michael estimates a 1.25% case fatality rate here, with, with people over 65 being the higher cases. If that becomes true, it would be more Americans lost by this virus than any other cause combined. Michael says that an average of 100 people die a day in New York from any cause, whereas this week or last week, it averaged about 150 per day just by COVID alone. The healthcare people getting infected and the overwhelming of medications and ventilators and beds could heavily affect the fatality cases and infection rates. Antibiotics, for example, 85% of our key antibiotics right now come from outside of the U.S., which seems crazy. And rather ironically, the places with the biggest production ability are China and the Lombardy region of Italy. Being that Michael works with other coronaviruses and influenza, he said they can say without question that influenza viruses are in part transmitted by aerosol. Aerosol contaminants have to contain parts of droplets to transmit. Where there's droplets, there's aerosols. But where there's aerosols, there may not be droplets. I didn't clarify this earlier, but according to a medical dictionary, a droplet is a particle of moisture discharged from the mouth during coughing, sneezing, or speaking. These droplets may transmit infections while airborne to others. 
So while talking about healthcare workers, Michael says that surgical masks would surely be helpful to reduce the amount of aerosols you come in contact with. Apparently in Mulan, they had healthcare workers that were confirmed to have the virus, but weren't too sick to keep working. That sounds crazy, but that's also how important it was to have them continue to help. The CDC issued new guidelines a couple of weeks ago outlining masks being an alternative to N95 respirators. But I guess some scientists and administrators out there assumed this meant only droplets were the issue instead of aerosols. But that's not the case, according to Michael, and that's not what the CDC was trying to say. It's believed that they were trying to reduce the demand for the better masks and uh, N95 respirators for healthcare workers, if possible. To put it into perspective, 2 million N95 respirators were used in one New York hospital last month. To keep the hospitals throughout the entire country stocked up, you can surely imagine the millions and millions of respirators needed to help our providers. Michael called these medical providers heroes, which they are, and compared them to our soldiers. But we wouldn't want to send our soldiers to war without bullets and necessary gear to keep them safe, which is basically what's happening to our doctors and nurses unprotected on the front lines because people are stockpiling the better masks. Testing supply chains are very limited at this time as well, which certainly doesn't help. Peter asked Michael about finding other ways to have a better idea about whether or not someone is infected by following temperature changes or something more biometric. Michael basically said that if people are experiencing the symptoms of this virus or influenza-like symptoms, respiratory issues, it's probably not influenza since there hasn't been a surge of it recently it's probably safe to assume it's COVID and to monitor it closely. Peter brings up the fact that he's reached out to a few colleagues and people who work in biotech companies about vaccines, and they all say they wouldn't expect to see any sort of viable vaccine inside of 12 months. Michael points out that he could certainly make a vaccine by the end of the day, but the problem is making sure it's safe and effective. As far as effectiveness goes, he says we might be able to find something that we could use in more of a temporary setting, but not likely long-term. He's thinking the major holdup is going to be something regarding the vaccine being safe. Michael mentioned something for the Ebola issue in 2014 and 15, taking almost four years to get a vaccine licensed. Peter asked about immunocompromised people, and Michael said he hasn't seen anything from China or anywhere else that confirms a bigger issue with immunocompromised people, which seems interesting to me since we've, I feel like we've all heard otherwise. He mentions kids getting the virus, but that there hasn't been many reports of them showing symptoms, whereas influenza appears to show the opposite as far as them. And I believe in his words, where he said something like nuclear reactors for spreading the virus. Michael brings up a recent event in Seattle where 60 people in a choir showed up to practice and 49 of them went on to test positive for this virus and two of them died. The two that died were over 80. Michael brought up a situation in Munich where they were following people that were involved in the early outbreaks. I believe these people were around other people that were confirmed to have this virus and were told to quarantine themselves and reach out the moment they showed any sort of symptoms. So once these people started experiencing symptoms, they reached out, they gave blood, urine, stool samples to work with. Michael comments on noticing the virus levels in the throat during the early stages. He says the virus level in the throat was about 1,000 times higher than what they've seen with SARS at its highest level. And this was just in the beginning stages of this COVID virus. He believes the level goes down from there, but it's something to take into consideration when people don't seem as concerned about aerosols versus droplets. Michael gives a great example of aerosols. When the sun is shining in your home and you see things floating in the air and you think, wow, my house is really dusty. 
That's not just dust. That's actually aerosols from talking and breathing. He also brings up being in a department store, being three or four aisles away from the perfume section, and you can still smell it because those are aerosols. Peter asked about whether or not Michael thinks we are now a global coordinated effort on the intellectual front for this. And Michael mentions his disappointment at a certain level with the World Health Organization possibly giving a few areas and organizations false hope by insinuating it can be contained like it was in China. But he thinks that it really wasn't contained in China as much as uh, we're being led to believe. He raises the question of why China has closed their movie theaters recently again and hasn't allowed reporters in and out like they were before. He said he and many others suspect that China is experiencing a resurgence of infection and they're not wanting everyone to know. Michael also thinks the false hope given by the World Health Organization affected our own delay in preparedness. Peter finally asked Michael what he would like everyone to keep in mind before the interview ended and Michael remarked about how they've thrown out a lot of numbers throughout this conversation, but these are actual people, not just numbers. These are our friends and our loved ones. Michael thinks everyone will soon begin to know more and more people affected by this, but we have to keep working together and know that we will get through it. I would still encourage everyone to go listen to both of those, but that's pretty much all I have to say as a summary of those two things that I listened to. And I would have to say that I think we are going to be experiencing this for months to come and we all just need to be diligent with hand sanitizing and not touching your faces, just as Dr. Price said. Regardless of what the average person out there says about low-grade masks or homemade masks being useless because of something they saw on the news or a Facebook post, all types of masks are helpful to reduce the amount of times you touch your face and to reduce the amount of chance that aerosols are going to enter your mouth or nose. The more you tell people that low-grade masks are worthless, the more you are instilling fear in a false narrative. You're telling people that if they don't have a high-grade mask or respirator, they aren't safe. And that's not true. It also may drive them to try and acquire a higher-grade mask, and that's more needed in the medical community. Regardless of whether you agree or disagree with anything that I said or what these people said, just do yourself and everyone else a favor and make sure you are doing your research. If you want to form an opinion, do some research. Listen to experts. Listen to people experiencing this firsthand and what they're saying. Don't just watch Fox and NBC and CNN or whatever to get a five-minute update and try to reduce the time and come up with an opinion just because of that or just based on that. Take some time to listen to hour-long podcasts or spend more hours reading different people's research, looking at statistics and checking them from several sources you'll likely feel much more comforted and safe by knowing as much as you do instead of giving yourself anxiety by hearing a bunch of negative shit on the news or walking around and seeing a bunch of scary people with masks and gloves on because that's it's weird. It's weird to see that. And if you don't know enough about it, it's going to be an uneasy situation, something that is not normal. You're not used to it. But the more you know about it, I think the more comfortable you're going to be, even though it's we're not really that comfortable. Just be safe out there, everyone. Keep your hands clean. Don't touch your face. And let us please respect one another during this very stressful time. That is all. Rusty's Escape Pod. Rusty's Escape Pod.